Hello, and welcome to The Verge Podcast, a part of the college and career ministry at First Baptist Dallas. I'm Kyle Wilson, and it's a pleasure to be a part of your day. I want to personally invite you to join us at our college and career ministry any Sunday at 9.15 a.m. or Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, check out firstdallas.org college. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday teachings, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Caleb. I am Kyle's intern here at First Baptist Dallas College and Career Group. And today we are going to be continuing in our James series. So if you want to open up your Bibles to James 4, 13 through 5, 6, that is where we're going to be most of the day. Um, and just to catch you up on some background information. Uh, so we know that the book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, in Greek is Yakovos, and so it's probably better translated as Jacob. But anyway, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, one of the first Christian communities, when Peter had gone out to start these new churches. And so during James, or Jacob's, 20 years in leadership, he guided the church through famine, poverty, and persecution. And what this book is, it's an, it's an eclectic gathering of his legacy of wisdom. Now, while this book is technically an epistle or a letter, um, it's not like Paul's letters to churches that address specific problems within those communities. Rather, it's written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. So after the believers had scattered when uh, Stephen was stoned in Jerusalem, um, they scattered through all these different communities, and that's the audience that James is writing to. And so that's one of the books, that's one of the reasons why this book is so powerful, because it's challenging and encouraging to any and every community of faith, both in the past and in the present. Lastly, this book does not teach new theology. It seeks to challenge how the Christian reading it lives. Its main goal is that followers of Christ would become truly wise by living out Jesus' summary of the scriptures, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so within this passage, these two different paragraphs, the first paragraph, uh, James, is, James is correcting two misconceptions. And these are, these are common misconceptions that uh, believers all buy into at one point or another. Um, the first misconception is a misconception about themselves. And the second misconception we're talking about is about a misconception about life's resources. Um, now, although these two paragraphs uh, seem completely different, there's one theme that's threaded throughout both of them. Uh, both misconceptions fail to look to God for life, wisdom, and security. Now, the, the example James uses are very specific. In the first one, he's going to talk about a, uh, he's talking about a merchant who's self-reliant. And in the second one, he's talking about these land workers who are very rich and self-indulgent. Now, while James very much could have had some real people in mind when he wrote this, it's more likely that he's using these types as broad representatives um, that characterize these kind of attitudes and misconceptions. And so these warnings are applicable to more than just merchants and landowners. They're applicable to all of us today. And so that's what we're going to look at. So if you can open up your Bibles, we're going to read James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like smoke that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is a sin for a person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. So James isn't saying here that planning and investing and strategizing are wrong. 
uh, in verse 16, he talks about what, what makes it wrong is when our planning and strategizing is done in arrogance and self-confidence, and we boast about it. Planning for the future is wise, not evil. However, if we plan without acknowledging God and who he is and without reference to the commands that he's given us, we become foolish and wicked. And that's exactly what these merchants have done is they've forgotten who God is. They've abandoned from their minds and they've sought only themselves. And so James gives us two corrections for this misconception. This misconception, about the, he gives them two corrections. How do you correct arrogance? You correct arrogance with humility. C.S. Lewis said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And Tim Keller has a small little book on self-forgetfulness. And, and in that book, he talks about how uh, the way that we become humble is when we have to stop connecting every experience and conversation and interaction we have with ourselves. We need to forget about ourselves. That's what humility is. It's self-forgetfulness. If you guys remember when Kyle talked about pride a couple weeks ago, he said that pride is a statue that we build up in our name that looks nothing like us. And humility is the rain, dust, and wind that sweeps over it, eats away at it, and reveals all of its imperfections. And that's what James does here. So he reminds them of their humility by reminding them of the smallness of our lives in comparison to our infinite, holy God. He says, for you are a mist that appears for a little times and then vanishes. He reminds them that God is the giver and taker of life. The second way he corrects it. So we have first, he corrects the arrogance with humility. And the second one is a reminder to obey God's moral laws. In verse 15, he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Inshallah. It's a common phrase that Muslims say, and it means if the Lord wills it. Within Southwest Asian culture or Middle Eastern culture, they do not like committing to plans. Culturally, if, if you invite them to lunch or try to plan out an event with them within the next week, the typical response is, inshallah, if God wills. Um, and that's not what James is saying here. He's not saying that like, uh, if God, guys, like if your mom tells you to do your laundry and you say, oh, well, if the Lord wills it, or if, if, if a guy asks a girl on a date, like James isn't saying for the girl to say, if the Lord wills it, um, that's not what James is talking about here. And so what we need, to, what's important is we need to discern what kind of will is God, is James talking about when he says God's will here? Because we know in the Bible, there are two different kinds of will. There's God's sovereign will and there's God's moral will. God's sovereign will is his is the, is the God is the supreme authority over everything with his, and his purpose for everything and anything in this life. This is, a, this is a secret will that we do not know fully and that we won't until uh, our, the final day. We see this in Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. The second kind of will that God has is God's moral will. His moral will commands us to act in a certain way, i.e. like the Ten Commandments or when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. These are examples of God's moral will. And so within this text, it's most likely that James is talking about God's moral will. And we get this because in verse, in verse 16 and 17, he, he makes it very clear that their arrogance is a sin and that if they don't do it, uh, if they don't do what they know is right, then, it, then that is a sin as well. And so we see here that James is telling them that if they need, that in order to correct their arrogance, they need to be humble, but then they also need to follow God's commands. And God commands us not to be arrogant. And now that they know that they need to stop being arrogant. And they need to take the on humility that the gospel gives us. The summary of James, right? To be truly wise and to love God and love others. They're boasting in their arrogance 
And that's exactly how James corrects it. In verse 16, the word for the word for you boast in your arrogance is coxeomai. And this word means to glory. And so a more literal translation of this verse could be you glory in your arrogance. Do you see the irony of this misconception here? The merchants are proud when they ought to be utterly ashamed. This mindset independent from God and his moral commands is the opposite of faith and is foolish and wicked. When we acknowledge that God is sovereign in life, it does not imply that we don't make plans, but it does imply that we should seek to consciously know God's moral will when we make these plans. That's what James is getting at when he says here. And so he ties this verse up perfectly at the end of verse 17 when he says, So it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. There's no room for us to boast in every dimension of life. One, if we neglect doing what we should do, or if we neglect to seek to know what God would have us do, it's just as much of a sin as doing what we already know we shouldn't do. And that's exactly how we fix this misconception by ourselves. We fix our arrogance by humbling ourselves and remembering who we are in the midst of our mighty God. And then secondly, we have to bend our hearts, minds, and souls and bodies towards God's moral will and because of who he is and what he has done for us. Let's move on to the second misconception. James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cry out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. So that's our second misconception we have here. We see here that James is talking about this misconception about life's resources. These, people, these landowners are being selfish, they're being manipulating, and they've become oppressive. If you remember what we talked about in James 3, he, James expressed this warning against the tongue. And James never said that the tongue was evil in all of its ways. Um, it's, exact, it's actually the exact opposite. It's the duality of the tongue that makes it so dangerous. Because from the same tongue that we praise and adore God with is the same tongue that we also curse man with. And so that's what makes this gift of language so dangerous. It's the duality of it. And so in the same way that the tongue is dangerous because of duality, it's the duality of wealth that makes it so dangerous as well. Because our wealth can be used as a gift that has been given by God and by God alone to, to spread God's kingdom and make God's kingdom uh, grander here on earth. Or it can be used like, like they use it here in James, where it was self-indulged and used completely on themselves. If you remember what Kyle talked about with the tongue, we said the tongue is not a tongue issue. It's a heart issue. Because the only way to control the tongue is by surrendering the heart. For the heart gives the mind its thoughts, which fuel the words from the mouth. It's the same way with wealth. The only way to control our wealth is by surrendering the heart. For the heart gives the mind its thoughts, 
which fuel our actions that we will and live and endue with our wealth. And that is the danger of wealth. Because in no mean is, J- is James saying that being, being wealthy is a sin. That's not what he's saying. It's the duality of our wealth that can either destroy us or can be used to build up God's kingdom. In verses 2 and 3, we see here that, he, that the warning he gives is almost the exact same warning that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. In Matthew 6, 19, 21, it says, Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. James is bringing this back to scripture and he's reminding their audience that what we do with our wealth, it's a window into, it's a window into our hearts. A quick little rabbit trail that I thought was so cool, guys. So the word for corroded here in verse, in verse two, when he talks about how our, our, your gold and silver will be corroded. Um, the word for corroded there is uh, katiotai. And it also means to rust. Um, and so, however, uh, if you've taken a geology class or something, you would, you would know that the objects made of gold and to a lesser extent silver do not rust. Gold can withstand corrosion and still maintain its met- met- metallic integrity for centuries. And even though silver tarnishes on the surface, it too lasts a long time in harsh events in harsh environments and does not rust through the way that iron does. And so what James is saying from this worldly point of view, this treasure that you've built up that is that is so indestructible and incorruptible, you think, well, on the day of judgment, not only is it going to be rusted, but it's going to be rusted through and be completely worthless. James takes it a step further. Not only does he say, will it be worthless, but it will be a poison that destroys you as well. A heart that has surrendered views wealth only as a means to glorify God. And it would be a testimony to us on the final day of judgment. But a heart that hasn't surrendered views wealth as a way to maintain a comfortable lifestyle. And that's why it's a poison against you and will destroy you. In verse 4 and 5, James clarifies that this condition from their wealth, which became wicked, was not obtained by paying their workers or harvesters. They, they only cared about themselves, and not only did they steal from those less powerful, but they indulged in luxury with these stolen wages. Um, just a little time out here, because I know I'm not a landowner, and uh, I know a lot of college students aren't landowners, and so even if our material wealth isn't obtained by unrighteous means, even if I didn't steal that wealth from, from someone else, my wealth is still unrighteous if I use it purely for the pursuit of my own pleasure. Because that still reviews a heart that has not surrendered. In verse 5, he says, You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Today, what do we do before we kill livestock? If you're me, you'd probably cry and cry and cry because animals are precious and I would hate to see that happen. Um, but but anyways, um, what would they do before they kill an animal? They fatten the animal up. They want the animal to be as, to be as big as possible. That way when you kill it, you, you get the most meat possible. One commentary put it like this. If there is a deer, and if it could think, it would think, 
wow, I'm so fortunate. Like I'm inside this fence. Like I get to live indoors. I'm surrounded by mounds of hay. I don't have to go walk around the woods and forage for some skimpy grass in the hot sun. But all the while, they're completely oblivious to the impending doom that they're about to face. And that's exactly what James is saying here, is that the rich, they've stored up their wealth and they've taken from us and they've indulged in it and they've lost sight of the coming day of judgment and they've abandoned a kingdom-minded heart and a kingdom-minded soul that's rooted in the hope of Christ's return. And instead, they found their joy and hope in worldly things, which ultimately is just dust, when their joy and hope should have been in the Lord. In verse 6, he talks about how they've condemned and murdered the poor, righteous person. And the righteous person, they didn't resist. He contrasts the oppressive actions of the landowners with the lack of action from the righteous. They didn't respond. The righteous didn't respond in like kind. They did not react to the landowners, but they chose to respond to God. And so we see here that the righteous, they exhibit the exact remedies. They, they, they exhibited humility. They, they forgot about themselves. Secondly, another way we see humility in this passage. There are consequences for when we withhold our wealth. And it's scary when I think about these. The consequences of withholding wealth in this passage are, in verse 4, it says that the Lord hears the cries of the exploited. In verse 5, it says that the Lord repays evil with judgment. And in verse 6, it says that the Lord sees the oppression of the innocent. Those are the consequences when we withhold our wealth. And so how do we fix this misconception? We must forget about ourselves and stop indulging in our own wealth. And secondly, we need to obey God's commands. God was a father to the orphans. And he loved the poor. And we are to do the same. And guys, wealth is so much more than just money. Wealth is the earthly thing that gives you power. It can be your musical talent. It can be your athletic ability. It can be your brains. It can be your looks. It can be your prominence in your family relationships. It can be your social standing with your friends. And if we focus on enjoying our wealth rather than the one who bestowed it to us in the first place, it becomes an idol. And so we need to be on guard when we slip into these misconceptions that James addressed here. We need to make sure, are we like the merchant who's become self-reliant instead of having faith in God? Who's become so arrogant that he doesn't even see God's commands as he's making his plans throughout the day and the year? Or are we like the landowner who's become so self-indulgent that he robs from the poor and he's become unfaithful in dealing with his fellow community and yet only focuses on himself and ignores God's commands? Both failed to look to God for life, wisdom, and security.